0: Um, Let's talk about something that affects a lot of us, which is cancer. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about that in the context of code status, but specifically if you're encountering someone who's also very young, Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of our podcast has focused on this concept that people who are older are going through these things but Mm -hmm. there are times when people who are younger are going through these issues and what does that look like yeah
1: and I'll just you know use myself as an example as if I'm the person that's going through it because I think that's very reasonable and I would want someone to have this conversation with me if I were you know kind of enduring an advanced cancer disease process I would want someone to be honest and transparent with me just like I am with with my patients so How to initiate that conversation, it's very tough. You kind of have to like mentally prepare yourself and understand that it's not going to be easy, but you have to be genuine and authentic. And I think it's really important to just set the stage, give somebody as much control over the situation that they've already lost.
0: And we're really talking about the diagnosis has already been made. Mm -hmm. It's already been shared with the patient. The patient is aware that there is cancer and that it is um, widely spread and potentially incurable. incurable. So we've gotten to an endpoint, either mm-hmm. surgically or medically with, with chemo or radiation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And now you're going in to talk to them about how to make decisions if there are events like, They can't breathe on their own, or they can't speak for self, or Mm -hmm. there's a cardiac arrhythmia. What what are we going to do as healthcare providers? Mm -hmm. In episode two, we talked about how the default in a hospital setting is a full code. So unless you put limitations on your own code status, full resuscitation would be given provided in the event that you could not breathe on your own or that you have a cardiac arrhythmia that's fatal and that that cpr that intubation may or may not be successful but what we're talking about is you know you have a terminal diagnosis and now there's a team that comes in to talk to you about what that looks like Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and i was just thinking in my head when you're talking is why, you know, like, why, why would we bring that up? Why would we talk about that? Mm -hmm. It may seem like a non issue, I think, to the public, as to why someone would even want to know? Or why would you even ask me that? And I get I get that a lot. Why are you asking me this? Why do you have to know? And I think it's very important that we have this conversation that we're not really asking you for an answer for us, or asking you for you because we want you to be able to control your life and even though you have that illness you have a diagnosis you still have control over some things
0: yeah it goes back to that original conversation that we had about like everything in life is planned out we plan everything you have a daily calendar you've got you know plans with friends plans with family everything seems to come with a plan And then we get to this moment where end of life is happening and there are times when there is no plan to follow and we're really scrambling to try to figure that out in real time and wouldn't it be better and easier if everyone was already aware of what options are out there, at least given some thought to it so that Mm -hmm. it makes the decision making easier on the friends or family who are being relied upon to speak on your behalf or to you if you're going through the situation yourself mm-hmm. yeah and i think
1: it's quite empowering too when people make you know and really solidify their decisions on these topics and their family feels at ease you know really understanding okay I made this decision and my parents are going to respect it. You know, that's a huge, huge deal. And it and it kind of alleviates the burden on all the different parties that are involved, including, you know, the patient. They feel much more comfortable making the decisions and taking control over this part of their life. So in having that conversation, especially with a younger patient, it's it's hard. But what I find is that your voice matters. You have opinions about it. If somebody doesn't ask, then you will not be, you know, your story will not be heard you, your decisions will not be heard. So the first hard part is just ask, have you thought about this? What do you understand? Would you like to know more information? Mm -hmm. Can I give you your options? I
0: would imagine that that's a really hard conversation starter.
1: Mm -hmm. It is, yeah. Well, I think it's important to build, you know, rapport. You have to, do so in a manner that's not threatening you know and and really put the person at the center of attention and say i'm here to help you i'm here to be your advocate i will you know take back whatever you're saying to anyone you would like me to including your family if you'd like to have that conversation and just kind of open up the door for them to speak on what what they want to talk about that's how i first you know go into it initially and then we go over different options on what's available and to this topic in the context of your illness. So the way that I would speak to somebody that has a very healthy trajectory with a lifestyle that is may not be affected by disease and they're doing quite well is very different than somebody I know has a limited time here and has an opportunity to take control over that limited time to really address what how do you want to live? Where do you want to live?
0: I want to go back to something you said earlier, which, um, I had a brain fart. <laughs> <It's> something <laughs> I said earlier, which was probably a lot. I am sorry. Regarding the younger adults. Oh, <laughs> I remember now. It's, um, so we'll have to edit that. Um, <laughs> a little pause, bathroom <laughs> break. Um, so, You had said that, you know, you have to approach this conversation gently and with respect to the person going through. But I was wondering how many times you have a struggle with the family members Mm -hmm. who are sort of hearing this conversation and acting as advocates for their loved one who feel very obviously emotional about the situation and they want to be helpful, but, you know, potentially they can be barriers to the decision-making and how you manage that, how you handle that.
1: Mm-hmm. It This happens every day, I would say. I think
0: as family members, you want to
1: protect your loved one that's going through hurts and heartache. And the first piece is to just stop and say, please don't you know please don't have this conversation not right now I don't want to hear any bad news um, that comes up a lot and you have to read the room and be very respectful and again it's about being genuine and, and and trustworthy and understanding that what you're you're there for them and if they're not ready they're not ready but I would go back to the person that we're speaking to and that's going through it and open it up to them on how they would like to address this conversation. Um, Before all that starts even on the very first meeting is often alone with somebody and you ask for permission and then asks for them to you know kind of include whomever they would like to include in, in a difficult conversation like that.
0: Yeah, I think um well my perspective is different than yours because on trauma we we're not dealing many times with like long standing illness that can deteriorate over time where there's you know a spread of potentially weeks, months, years of of things declining and so you know families may be more prepared in some of those situations many times I'm dealing with something and we're dealing with it in the moment. So, you know, I've I've had situations also where I go in to talk to a patient, they have family in the room and the family wants to be supportive of their loved one. But in reality, they're serving as a barrier because mm-hmm. they're stepping in the way of a conversation that really, needs to happen or information that needs to be translated so that we can make decisions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so um, I've just always handled that by asking if we can just sort of be transparent, open and honest. I mean, I I don't like surprises. Mm-hmm. I I don't like to be hit with information that I wasn't expecting to come my way. I wouldn't want to have anybody else have that situation, but certainly I don't want to be pushy if you're just not ready, you know, to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. What yeah. other like resources, support, what else is there and available for patients who aren't quite ready to have that conversation, but who, I mean, how do you get someone ready for it? How do you, how do you get there? Mm-hmm you give them back the control even of the
1: conversation and say, tell me how you're feeling. And we talked about this a little bit in the first episode, but it's like having the person explain what their life is looking like and what they hope for. So tell me what a good day looks like. Tell me what a bad day looks like. And then kind of outline, have them kind of have this their own epiphany as to, oh, okay, I really, Maybe this is something I need to talk about. Maybe I do wanna take control over things that are affecting me. And I'm gonna tell you, now I'm gonna tell you (laughs) so that you can take this information and Mm -hmm. and deliver it back to the healthcare team. But there are many people that will just, you know, kind of close down and they don't wanna talk and that happens often so provide Resources for other, you know, whatever is important to them. If they have community support or family support or people that have gone through similar things, of course, you know, our healthcare providers that are exceptional at at all things end of life and palliative care, we lean on them all the time and have interdisciplinary meetings. And it's really important to kind of evaluate who is the best person to be having this conversation. And sometimes it's not healthcare providers at all. Sometimes it's their significant other or their friend or their boss. Yeah, that's a great point.
0: That's a great point. Yeah, I just, it's, um, it's a, it's, it's difficult because I think, like, what would I want if I were in that situation? And I don't know that I could answer it succinctly day to day, you know, every day, like, looks a little bit differently based on whatever other stressors I have going on. Yeah. I, I didn't m- sorry
1: <laughs> I, I was just thinking like being in it it's almost harder because you you ju- your mind is just going that you're like I'm not sure who I want to talk to right now like do I want to I mean we deal with this with our own family members right where we have these events that are happening in our life and we're like relying on the The medical providers there but also each other because we know people and you're just like who's the right person who's the right you know people to make these decisions and help me in this situation and it's a village
0: I think that too but like there's also like time constraints (laughs) with the providers who Mm -hmm. are coming to the room to talk to you and your family yeah and you know what might just be a Tuesday family meeting for me is end of life decisions at times for someone else. Mm -hmm. So it's very like heavy when you think about it that, you know, I'm just gonna be having this family meeting and then going home and having dinner with my family. Whereas Mm -hmm. my patient may be having this family meeting with me and then making that decision to stay in the hospital or go home for hospice Mm -hmm. level of care. And that was something else I wanted to ask you about was, you know, patients are that we encounter are in the hospital, mm-hmm. but when we're at this level of conversation, can they just go home? I mean, is that possible? And how do we make that happen?
1: Yeah, I think depending on what they're going through, what symptoms are, you wanna make sure somebody's successful at home. So depending on what the care is that's being provided at the hospital, if that can be mimicked at home, then sure, yeah, we'll do everything in our power to get somebody back home. Um, That could be with a, depending on, you know, what their illness and the trajectory prognosis, including everybody in those decisions. You can go through a variety of different resources like home health or palliative care or hospice. There's a wide variety depending on where you're at and what level of services you need in the home environment.
0: I think that's important because, you know, the power to be able to go home is very strong. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes we see some improvement, enlightenment, excitement about the possibility of going home rather than going Somewhere or staying somewhere that's not your familiar environment, where mm-hmm. you know the care could be provided in either place. And I think a lot of times home is an option that may or may not get discussed, or may or may not be understood. And so it's important to always ask if that's something that you want to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't quote me on this. And I was actually thinking we could probably pull in statistics into different conversations but when people were surveyed I think it was amongst a lot of different people but 80% of, of individuals said that they would prefer to be at home at end of life and it's actually in 20% said they would be okay with being in the hospital and what actually happens is the reverse yeah um, so most people end up in the hospital still and you know that's kind of part of the having the conversation early but also you know, if you don't and you don't have those resources at home then then it's almost known that you will be there and, you know, that's why people like us have a passion for this and trying Mm -hmm. to help people along the way and making those decisions that really matter.
0: So I think a great question to ask if you're ever in a situation where you're looking at end of life care is where can the care be provided? Can I get this at home if that's your choice? so that we can get that percentage up more. (laughs) Yeah, and I've had so many really neat experiences where
1: people have gone home, and because we had that courage to have these very, very difficult conversations, which at first seemed, you know, I was pushed away, like, please don't, I don't wanna talk about it. And then after the fact, like looking back a month later, getting phone calls from people that said, this was the best decision we made. Thank you for giving us this information because we just saw all these amazing people and spent time at home with our loved ones and with our grandkids, and you know all these mm-hmm. different things. And so I've heard really like fun stories where people you know, do things at home that you wouldn't expect, but they get it done and they just thrive you know for whatever time they have left. and that's, that's what matters.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for joining Jay's Heart. We appreciate you. Put your comments in the chat. We'll take your questions online at jaysheart.com. See you next time. Let us know if there's a
1: topic that you would like us to discuss next time.